This podcast is brought to you by CEW Plus at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as we work to serve our community during this unprecedented time of change. Resiliency is best demonstrated in times of challenges. Join CEW Plus Advocacy Program Manager Liz DeBetta as she talks to students, staff, faculty, and community members connected to the University of Michigan Center for the Education of Women in our podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. Today's podcast features Erika Murcia, a 2016 recipient of the Margaret Dow Towsley Scholarship, which allows women students to benefit from Mrs. Towsley's faith in the center and her belief in educational opportunities for women. Erika is a UM alum, having earned an MSW in 2017. Erika, welcome to the Strength in the Midst of Change podcast. I'd love it if you could introduce yourself and tell us your story including how you decided to come to UM for your MSW. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. My name is Erika Murcia. I am joining from Nahuatlán, what is also known as San Salvador, El Salvador. There is a story behind me pursuing a master's program. And the most challenging things was having access to a full scholarship as an international student. So there are programs that allow international students to have access to full tuition, but in my case, it was different. And that first semester of autumn 2016, when I received the news that I was going to receive a scholarship from CW Plus, I-, I cry a lot because that was the first seed that pretty much said, yes, you can start. At least you can begin the program. And so I remember like, you know, when you were like at the last period of like, you got to have your classes ready, like everything like program and you don't have the money and you're like, ah, am I going to make it or not? And so just to tell you that news, I think I was at a bus stop waiting for, you know, my bus. And I remember receiving the email, but also a phone call. And then I wanted to know how much it was because that was going to define if I was going to be able to pay for my full tuition for that first semester. So yeah, money was a big challenge and I am beyond grateful with the support that CW offered me, but also what it meant. The first seed of possibilities of going through each semester and being able to graduate afterwards. Can you also tell me a little bit about what inspired you to pursue an MSW and why you chose the University of Michigan? So I had been already on the field after graduating from my bachelor's in the University of El Salvador, doing research, like being a translator for many scholars who were doing research about the civil war in El Salvador and the stories of the survivors and many other issues related with trauma. And I was also working with a lot of nonprofits in the fundraising field. So for seven years or so, I had already been in the communities and and being in contact with communities and, and working with, being in relationship with. And I felt that there was something calling me to understand at a deeper level this intricate web of complexities about the trauma and and the civil war and the stories of these people that now I was in relationship with in various communities in El Salvador and later on also from other countries in Central America that called me. And so that was the first seed, the stories of survivors, of 
the civil war, the stories of survivors of sexual violence during the war. And then also me being able to mirror that, you know, my own family were survivors of various types of violence and various types of traumas. But also, and this is the other thread of the story, is like, how do I pursue a master's program that can challenge my quest for knowledge in the sense of, you know, wisdom, but also to bring these stories of these indigenous people, women, and people whose stories have not been told from a place of sovereignty, not just seeing them or studying, you know, them, but recognizing my relationship with everything, not only humans, but also the ecosystems and how I could just become the path to bring their stories and honor and, and, and offer dignity. So that was, and, and then I got to U of M and it wasn't like easy. <laughs> I had to convince the people at U of M that I had it. <laughs> so on their website, there is anything that says that you can apply if you don't have money. So I went in person and I brought my portfolio with lots of like all the things I have done that inspire me. And like, you know, I, I, I met with a person, I had a tour at the school and I say, look, I have all the willingness, but I don't have any penny. And they said, yes, you can apply. You can apply even if you don't have the money. And, and in the section that you have to speak about money, you can say that you are seeking scholarships. I apply. Many people that were already PhD students told me that maybe I shouldn't apply because it was for people that were really smart. <laughs> and I thought, you know what I mean? Like, how do you define being smart enough? And I laughed because it hurt. So I apply because I just had this calling in my heart, you know, like, Against all odds, I'm going to apply and try because i rather to try and fail than never trying because I was so scared of not trying. <laughs> I received the acceptance letter and I was like, again, you know, like <laughs> jumping. And I was just like in so much gratitude, but also, you know, when you don't believe it too, like you are in this, like, am I dreaming? <laughs> more than me choosing U of M, I feel that it was more like you know, something in the heart of U of M or the School of Social Work shows also my heart. So let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. So the universe kind of showed up for you, huh? Yes. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that magic happens. And I think, you know, as someone who also really believes in doing purpose-driven work, that is also so much of my experience over the years is just really listening to, it's what a previous mentor of mine used to call the heart voice. She still calls it that, that's her terminology. She talks about the heart voice. And when we pay attention to that, what beautiful things can manifest and can be accomplished when we trust that inner knowing that we have, that we're, that we're on the right path, that we're moving in the right direction and that we're listening to ourselves, right? Because then we can continue to lead lives that are full of meaning and purpose. And I think that's so evident in just hearing you talk for this last few minutes and the joy in your voice and your laughter. And I can see your face. So, you know, there's this whole experience of you as this really joyful person as a result of listening to what your heart was telling you and just trusting that the universe was going to take care of it, right? 
with a little yeah. bit of help from CEW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, actually, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had a dream and I told this to someone in the team at the time. I said, I knew already that I was going to receive this scholarship, but I didn't know, you know, like, you know, when you know, I had an actual dream. A very vivid dream that I was joining an event and I was being part of this circle of women from different cultures and backgrounds. And I remember in the dream being like, no, <laughs> am I in, you know, like that sorority <laughs> kind of like way. And then a few days later, I received the email from CW and I call it the heart of the sky and the heart of earth mother were really kind of guiding me to listen and to not let you know, other people's fear projected to me, other people's unconscious biases to impact my presence to listen with heart. And I'm glad. I guess that's what my joy comes from. It's like, I'm, I'm so glad I did it. I, I listened. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I'm grateful with CW for this amazing work that you all have been doing for so long, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is a good segue into the next question I have, which is related to your work as a creator at Sanadora Practica Creativa Classroom, which focuses on reclaiming connection to ancestral medicine through creative practices. And I would love to hear more about this and how you connect all these threads. So my longing or my yearning to belong <laughs> in this global community come from my own experience of having been born in a refugee camp in Honduras. So I was born on the other side of the border because my family, my mom, my grandmother, and, and at that time, all the children she already had and my uncle had to flee the military scorched earth attacks in their village in the mountains. So I was born in the other side of the mountains side, but I grew raised here in El Salvador. And then life has allowed me to have this privilege to work with people from different backgrounds, different lineages, but also travel because of the type of labor I have been inspired and purposely, you know, worked towards. So my time in Michigan also connected me with this greater sense of belonging to a community that is global, right? And again, beyond human, I'm not just focusing on the human, but the ecosystems, right? The relationships I have built or I have cultivated or bridged through all these pilgrimages to different lands and the peoples and the stories I have kind of connected with. And so I realized that I'm not the only one child of the global diaspora. And so in that sense, I also realized that my longing or my purpose is not only to work with, you know, survivors of war or people who have experienced different ways of trauma in El Salvador, but more like, you know, expansive than that. And so this classroom is an exploration, it's emergent. And the first offering that I have co-created is Rematriar, Introduction to Poetic Writing, which speaks to the medicines of seasons, metaphorically, but also, you know, literally. <laughs> they can be experienced differently in relationship to different ecosystems or peoples or communities. And writing is one of my main passions, writing, like storytelling. I come from a lineage of storytellers, of oral storytellers, and 
in this journey of co-creating this offering in this online classroom, I realized this truth that we want to regret ourselves. We are all yearning for telling our stories beyond trauma, but also beyond the separation, you know, like me versus them or us versus them, like this sense of othering, like constantly finding reasons or ways to other each other's. <laughs> but the medicine wheel, which is one of the tools I have learned from other teachers from Anishinaabe land from Michigan, but also from Mesoamerica, is kind of like guiding this season medicine to guide. But before to start telling our story, we need to go inward, right? It's an invitation to explore, to self-study at a slow pace ourselves and go to that poetry or that poetic that is deeper than the trauma story. <laughs> and also the medicine will, and I'm not going to go too deep into this, is pretty much a reminder, a mirror, that the heart of the cosmos, the heart of Earth Mother connects us all with our own hearts, but also we are all part of one race, like the human race. And as human race, we're also in relationship to the heart of the trees and the plants and the ant, right? Like everything is inter it's a web of many colors and middles or crossroads. So that's my inspiration is to invite others to also through introspection, through also embodied practices, through the reclaiming and reconnecting with creative self-expressions to get to that poetic that is like way deeper than we sometimes allow ourselves to explore. That's so cool because it's very similar to my own work. I don't know if you know that a big part of my work has to do with storytelling and embodied performance and poetry. Yeah, you're speaking my language because I'm like, yes, because right, you know, we live in this world that does so much harm to people, right? That we all walk around with various forms of trauma. And so you talk about being part of this sort of global diaspora. As an adopted person, there's also sort of diaspora that occurs for people like me who end up in different families outside of their families of origin. And there is this, this need to connect to a story that is our own, right? And so that's how I came into a lot of my own work was really needing to figure out who I was in order to be able to tell my story. So you talk about that introspection and like I had been, you know, using poetry for many years without knowing that I was using it to help myself heal, that I was using it to help myself tell a story. It wasn't until I got to my dissertation that I figured out that there was a whole field about poetry and healing. And, and then, you know, because I also had a background as a performer, I was, you know, had sort of mashed the two together. And so I think this is healing work, right? When we invite people to come back to themselves and to find the stories that live inside of us and to be able to tell them and to be able to tell them in community with one another so that we're not alone. And as you said, we're not continuing to feel like the other or to other each other, right? Yeah. And I want to say something about this. When I say about, you know, beyond the trauma stories that we're being called by our ancestors in our bones, mm -hmm. whoever they are, how to be okay with the 
shadows, with the pains, with the hardship. When I was speaking about crossroads and middles, it's like, how do I bridge the grief, right, from realizing how much trauma I have carried that is not just mine, but also transgenerational? Mm. And how do I hold the joy that I am through walking my talk, through embodying my creativity and not mine, but like our creativity, right? Allowing space for creativity and not be, you know, too serious and too academic because to be honest, that's what I felt. After the program, I felt burnout. When we speak about healing and is this one of the waves of westernized healing, which is we have to fix the person, right? Mm -hmm. And so my focus is community organizing because we cannot see a trauma as an individual thing, but a more complexity of like interwebs of transgenerational little knots that we need to undo. <laughs> and so how do we undo it? And this mm -hmm. is the question for me, like not because you and I have the answer, but how do I undo this? How do we start unpacking these stuff that are hard? You know, like why do we have such concepts and terminologies that already other ourselves? Like when we say you're not normal <laughs> or you're like weird or you're messy or, you know, when we start putting words that have so much bias. And so we already are limiting ourselves to be the exploratory beings we are with creativity because we have been given limited language. And now this is part of the poetic writing that I am trying or like exploring emergent is like, how do we dignify or resignify the meaning of storytelling, but also what it means for ancestors. And I am, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I am pretty sure that this is something that most communities globally had access to mm -hmm. seven generations ago. I don't know how many generations ago. Anyways, I was just reiterating that we got to sit and kiss the shadow and sit with it. Like, you know, okay, let's be friends. <laughs> Do you want to dance with me? A tango or a salsa <laughs> or you know what I mean? Like, like yes. let's play together. So we're not so afraid of going inward, going um, yeah. into the depths of that wisdom we carry that wisdom that not necessarily is just trauma I'm not trying to make it very sprinkly and like how do you say like uh, yes it's magical but the magic happens in the unknown in the unseen in the subtleties of doing this self-study and from there start noticing how we cleanse our perception about the ecosystems we are in relationship with beyond our human relationships I love hearing you talk about this because it, like I said, it, this is, this is my jam. Like I love to talk about the ways that we can use our creativity and reconnect. And I love that you talk about dancing with the shadows and like really getting comfortable with those uncomfortable parts, yes. right? Because that's how we can understand ourselves better. And that's how we can come to healing. But as you said too, right, it's more than just an individual type of work it's also a cultural healing right like trauma can be individual and it often is but it's also connected to larger cultural issues right and deeper interlocking systems that do label us and hold us back and put us in certain boxes or categories that make us forget that we have joyful playful sides that we need to access all of the time 
And I love your honesty about feeling burnt out after finishing your program. You're not the first person to say that. I actually just had a conversation with a dear friend a few days ago who did a master's program and, you know, it's been a year and a half and she's like, I'm still burnt out, you know, and she went and did this circle singing retreat for a weekend and she didn't know that's what she was going to. She thought it was a yoga retreat, which is just funny. And she said it was <laughs> so healing and beneficial for her to just reconnect with her creative side. And it made her remember that, that that's the place that we find what's regenerative, what's rejuvenating, what makes us feel, mm. you know, real and whole and like fully alive and human. So that brings me to a question about your podcast, which is called Somos Semillas, or We Are Seeds. And you've talked a lot about seeds and planting seeds throughout <laughs> this conversation. So I would love to know a little bit about what inspired you to begin the podcast and also what message you hope folks take with them when they listen. Yeah, I sprinkle a lot of seeds. That's how I feel. You know, I am a seed. We are all seeds. And we have that, what you were saying this is one of my teachers who actually we invited her, Karina Falcon, in one of the episodes that we have the opportunity to reinvent ourselves all the time. We're not static. <laughs> so this podcast is a co-creation. So it's not my podcast. I am a co-collaborator with We Rice production team, um, Nikki, Nicole Gervasio, and Pat. Petru, Catherine Petru, and we were introduced through another friend and we began, you know, meeting ourselves first. I was very clear with them that I wanted to not rush into what we were going to do. We knew that it was going to be a podcast, but we didn't know the how and the when and the why and, you know, all of that. So the inspiration was to have remembered who I was when I was a child. And I told my mom that I was going to be a writer and publish in other languages and accompany others in writing themselves. And that was, a, I was young, like uh, maybe seven, I don't remember. And then I had the opportunity to submit one of my essays to this anthology that was published in Mexico. And I read about my on embodiment of, in Spanish, is called maternidad creativa, which is mamahood sovereignty. Is how do I see myself as a birthing person, not because I'm giving birth biologically, but because I am giving birth to myself again, but also to these other projects that, you know, are bursting out of my bones because I am listening to them, right? To the poetics. And so the books is available uh, and is in Spanish now, but hopefully we will have it in English. It's a collection of essays. And so in summary, once I had the first copies in my hands, I cry because I let my emotions show up <laughs> fully. And then I went and I told myself I was in Turtle Island in the U.S. at the time. And I told myself, oh, I need to go to sacred places and present it, you know, as a gratitude walk. And I did so, and in that journey, Rematriar, Introduction to Poetic Writing, also spoke to me, which is the program I was sharing with you about. It's one of my offerings on this uh, Sanadora Practica Creativa classroom on Teachable. And then 
when I am speaking with Nicole and Kat, you know, we realized like a lot of the talk had to do with seeds and again, seasons, and they're also artists. And so it was just like, we started doing a lot of rituals together before to even start writing what each episode was going to be about or the questions that were emerging. So we celebrated the solstice, the equinox, and there the heart of the podcast showed up. It is an invitation not only to us to really bridge across lineages, to bridge that when we allow spaciousness to actually listen to the story of another person, I put this in quote, that is not my bloodline, but also that is not my race or that is not my people from the same country or land. When we break through all these walls that we have been taught to create around ourselves in our hearts, in our minds, and we start reaching, right? Like, like I'm moving my hands as if I am trying to reach to Liz <laughs> to show that we are there. Like I want to listen. So that's what I call myself a story seeker. My soul, my heart, my psyche heals when I am able to be in a space with other people to hear their stories and to hear it as they come not because I'm going to be a social worker that is like, let me tell you about your trauma. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> not because I will be fixing anything, but just being fully present to listen. So mm -hmm. that is what it was. At the beginning, the idea was they were going to be interviewing me like this, you know, like for every episode. And then I thought, nah, nah, <laughs> that doesn't sound exciting for me. Like, it's not about me. So we also came with the idea to have guest speakers. And so we invited leadership, you know, folks who have been working on reclaiming connection with the sacred feminine energy, the sacred feminine and wisdom from various indigenous roots, but also to offer these poetic questions that allow us to reflect in our own stories and how we want to hold space for our own stories and maybe to those we are in proximity with because sometimes we get so caught up in our stories in the sense as if they are like individual <laughs> that we don't bridge we don't try to weave new threads in what is in between in what is in that crossroads what i'm trying to say is not like these questions give an answer but offer an opportunity for paths that are creative and that bridge across people from different backgrounds. And in, in doing so, we actually realize we're not that different, that we share that cultural global <laughs> storytelling that we are trying to undo the knots. And yeah, for me, it's really about celebrating us. I guess what I'm trying to say is also the joy to find folks who are in the vastness of the ocean of life, of the crossroads, and realizing how much we share and how healing it is to share our stories from a place where we can do it feeling authentic, but also that nobody's kind of like framing how we should tell this story, <laughs> but we're choosing how we tell it. <laughs> so yeah, I hope that folks who listen you know, get that sense of 
just inviting you to reconnect with your own poetry, with the poetics that you already are in your bones and how that can also expand as you start sharing these invitations with others and listening and being present to listen to others' stories. I am so excited by this this idea of like human poetics, right? That we are walking poems. And I probably have a line like that somewhere in a poem that I've written at some point in time, like I am a walking poem. But I love that you just said that because it reminds me like of all the stories that do live in our bones, right? And the words that live in our souls that come out in images and phrases and that can tell us so much about ourselves, our experiences, and can help other people to see us and to hear us and really create those bridges of understanding, but also bridges of connection and creation. I love earlier that you said too, that we always have the opportunity to recreate ourselves, right? Yeah, my mentor says that. Yeah, but I think too, I think that's so much of what poetry is, is like every poem is an opportunity to recreate something about myself or something about my story in order to reorganize it, to take it outside of my body and put it in the world. Right? Oh, if that's so, a mirror, Lise. Yeah. I have a book coming I out. I want to read you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a book so coming excited. out and I talk about a lot of this, right? How we can use writing as a healing practice and it's specific to adult adoptees, but Yes, this idea of like how the poems really become mirrors for those really deep inner parts of ourselves that we might not be able to express any other way, right? And that's the thing, right? I had gone back to like all this poetry that I had written, you know, 30 some odd years ago. And I was like, oh, if I had only paid attention then, right? How much more healing might I have been able to do? But it took a lot of years and a lot of writing and a lot of therapy and yes, a lot I, of education. I know. I'm, I'm... <laughs> I am there too. A lot of therapy. <laughs> yes. Right. And then a lot of holding space for other people and being present to listen to the stories that we have to share with one another. So that kind of brings me to the last part of this conversation for now. Anyway, we often ask folks about self-care practices and I feel like so much of what we've been talking about anyway, at least in my perspective, in my experience, is self-care. You know, the writing and the sharing of stories is definitely self-care in my view. But what are some of your self-care practices that you might want to share with our listeners? So first of all, I have a hard time with self-care because it's very oriented again to the self. And we're not one being. We have a lot of like wild creatures that live within us. <laughs> So I see it more as a creative praxis or a creative self-expression that allows me to be more present in the relationships that I have with the ecosystem, with people, plants, food, everything, right? Like understanding myself not as an isolated note, but like part of something bigger. So poetry for me actually has been a path, the path of healing. Once I write something on paper, it's like a manifestation. And again, you know, this is not like something academic and whatever, because sometimes we're so scared to think about poetry as like, it has to be perfect to like, you know, measure and whatever. No, 
it's a voice. It's our many voices. So what I, I realized is like writing, like it doesn't matter the order. It doesn't matter what it comes. It's not for me to be publishing. It's for me to tell the story of that day or that moment. And that has helped me. Like when I go back, as you were mentioning about your own book and your own path, it's so powerful to be like, whoa, I wrote this poem three years ago. And I, I did it when I was in such deep grief or I didn't have like in the moment, the capacity to realize what I was writing. Right. And so definitely for me, that's the first, it just make it very tangible, you know, putting the words on paper or painting, like bringing the colors and the images, some platform that makes me come back to it later. And then another practice that is emerging since the pandemic is to slow down, to not rush. <laughs> like, and trust me, I have burned out a lot of times in my life because, you know, I am very joyful, but that means also that I could be multitasking and doing way more than I needed. And knowing that, just being in awareness that I tend to be in that pattern or in that buckle, <laughs> now I allow myself to like, really have weeks that feel like spaciousness for both the action and inaction and celebrate it. And I just love being in my garden, sitting there with my cup of coffee or cacao, simply being like, wow, the flowers are dying and the others are being born. You know, like that sense of just humility and gratitude because I am alive in that moment. So breathing one step at a time, I guess, you know, it's just being present. And that sounds easier said than done, but it takes practice. That's something that I observe a lot. My grandma being like that, you know, like she was such a mystic devotional person and I would be so young and in the morning I would wake up and I wanted to sing to her and like, I would sing a lot of songs and she would be so happy. Her energy was calm and just like presence. And then I would be like, ah, I have so many things to do, my homeworks, whatever. And she would look at me like, just touch me. And with the touch, I would feel like, oh, okay. What I'm trying to say is that I have been practicing now for a while, for many seasons, what it actually means for me, for this specific body, each body is different. And for these specific seasons, this body has experienced in the last three years since the pandemic is can I just allow myself to not rush and how that can look like every day? So yeah, being present and contemplate. That's beautiful advice to leave our listeners with. The reminder to be present, to try not to rush so much and to just be here with ourselves and with one another. So thanks for joining me on Strength in the Midst of Change. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to CEW's podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. To learn more about this episode or the services and virtual programming offered by CEW+, please visit cew.umich.edu. Here at CEW+, we navigate circumstantial barriers by providing academic, financial, and professional support to help you reach your personal potential. Established to support women through higher education, we lift up women and all underserved communities at the University of Michigan and beyond. Through career and education counseling, funding, workshops, events, and a diverse, welcoming community, we exist to empower. We are CEW+, and we are here to help you reach your potential. 
the University of Michigan resides on the traditional territories of the three fires peoples, the Ojibwa, Odawa, and Potawatomi. 